You were drowning in a sea of sin, going down for the last time when you called upon his name. He reached down his nail-scarred hand and he lifted you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now. Give him the glory for what he's done in your heart. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and he made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Do you remember when with all your heart you longed to serve him? But you didn't think that Jesus could use someone like you. But look how he's used your life since he brought you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now. Give him the glory what he's done in your heart he took you from sin and strife and gave a new start he took your broken life and he made you complete so take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Well, praise the Lord. That's a great song, isn't it? Good, good words to that one. A lot of truth to that song there. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through the verse, first seven verses of that chapter. And then we'll go from there. But 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 7. <clears throat> Again, I just want to encourage you as you're turning to the passage to uh, plan on being here Saturday. Boy, I, I tell you, it'd be wonderful if we had a hundred folks or more and we could just go on out for a couple hours and be done with it. That'd be great. It really would. And uh, like I say, you can do probably a hundred doors uh, realistically in probably an hour and 15 minutes. I would say approximately, maybe not even that much, depending on where you're at. I will. I have an area prove, you know, set aside for me already. I'll probably be able to do probably 200 in about 45 minutes. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I don't. I do have a place I could go and get that done, though. I really could, and I'm sure that uh, there's a few around here that have probably already schemed and prepared for that, right, brother? Is that one of the areas, the one you think you know what I'm? T- Okay, yeah, see, Brother Brad's going to take that himself and come back and say, I did 400. Oh, yeah, okay. 
It's not always easy, but, but anyway, it's their apartments. So nonetheless, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say. The Lord give thee understanding in all things. This particular passage is one that probably you've read a number of times if you've gone through the New Testament. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard at least something from this passage. Obviously, verses 3 and 4 are pretty popular. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But tonight I'm going to take a few moments and we're going to look at the passage a little bit. Paul himself is writing, of course, to his son in the faith. And his son in the faith is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And we know that right off the bat, thou therefore my son. And so that's pretty simple. Again, it's not his biological son, but it is his son in the faith. And he's going to give him a few things. He's telling him a couple of things here right off the bat in chapter 2. First of all, he tells him to be strong, doesn't he? He tells him to be strong in verse 1. He says, uh, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And there is great strength in the grace of God. No doubt about that. He also goes on to say, uh, to share. He tells him to share. In verse 2 again, he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among men, who same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. He's going to have something that, he's, that he is now possessing that he wants him to give to someone else. So he says, you need to be strong and you need to share. But he also says, you need to, be a, to, to, you need to soldier. You, you need to soldier. And a soldier means you're going to have to endure some things. You're going to have to deal with some things. There in verse 3, it's obvious again that, you know, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the apostle now, speaking to his son in the faith, says, listen, Timothy, you need to be strong. You need to share and you need to soldier. But also notice that he says, you need to be sanctified. Sanctified. In verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You need to be separated unto service, unto the Lord Jesus Christ, for a specific use and purpose. You need to be sanctified, Timothy. You need to give yourself to this work. You cannot allow yourself to be consumed with the affairs of this life. You can't let yourself get caught up in what's going on day-to-day things. You've got to focus your attention on me and my work. And that's so important. Sadly enough, it seems to me, in many cases, I was talking to Brother Angel uh, when he was here with the youth, and uh, one of the things I told him was is that uh, I, I said, listen, one of the things that in my life that I made it a point was I was not going to have any other outside income other than the church. I made up my mind. I'm not going to sell Bibles to get my kids through college. I'll just let my kids pay for their college. I'm not going to worry about uh, having some kind of business on the side or using the people of God to somehow you know, fill my pockets or have contacts and sell insurance on the side and just happen to let everybody know I'm an insurance agent. And boy, everybody in church says, well, we guess we can trust him. We'll go to him. 
I made up my mind. I was not going to utilize the church for any other means other than the fact to give to it, not take from it. Now listen, that, that's not always easy because one of the things that I, I discourage our young men to do that are going to the ministry is to make sure that in their mind they understand that the ministry, you know, that, that God will meet your needs in the ministry. And I think what Paul's trying to tell Timothy is, listen, be very careful you don't get caught up in what's going on around you. And don't get caught up, even as we said this morning, in that materialism and some of the issues that are taking place. Make sure that your focus is on me and the ministry that you've been given. <clears throat> so, then, so then he goes on here in verse 5 and he says, now listen, not only do you have to be strong, share, be uh, to soldier, be sanctified, but you need to strive. You need to strive. And you need to strive lawfully. Now listen, you can work hard and you can put forth great effort. Uh, I, I know that in wrestling, you know, when I wrestled, you know, there were ways that you could do things. Uh, sometimes every once in a while, a coach would show you a little trick or something that might help you. And sometimes it was lawful and sometimes it wasn't so lawful. He's saying, listen, you've got to play by the rules. You've got to do things God's way. You can't just make up things as you go along. You have to strive lawfully. Yeah, put forth the effort. Yes, put forth the work. It has to happen, but do it God's way. Strive lawfully. And then finally, he says in verse 6, he tells him to succeed. He says, listen, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. He said, listen, yeah, be strong and share and soldier and be sanctified and strive lawfully, but then plan to succeed. Succeed. Accomplish something. Get something done. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. And that's basically what verse 7 is talking about. He says, now, consider what I say. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. And what the basic principle that's being taught here in these verses is this. First comes the toil and then the triumph. That's how it works. You reap what you sow, right? So in this case, he works hard in the ministry. You focus all your attention and your, your focus on that. You don't allow anything else to come between you and the work that I've called you to do. And let me tell you something. And when you succeed, it'll be sweet. Why? Because you have toiled and you have strained and you have strived and you have worked. And now all of a sudden you can taste of that fruit. The fact is, is that in the passage, you'll notice something interesting. He says, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. But first, excuse me, before that, he says in verse 6, the husbandman. So what he starts to do here in verse 6 is he kind of, he, he kind of takes this idea of husbandman, which is basically a farmer, and he, he equates it with the man of God and the work of God. So he's basically saying, like, kind of you as a man of God are kind of like a farmer then. Well, a farmer has this same principle in his life. He's got to first plow, then he plants, then he cultivates, then he reaps, and in due season, if he wants to taste the fruit of his labor, he, you know, he's had to do all of that. He's had to take that uh, into account. He's had to plow, plant, cultivate, and reap in order to taste of the fruit. Well, guess what? That's exactly what the man of God's got to do. And that's exactly what every Christian in this room has to do if you want to truly enjoy the fruit of your labor. See, too often we get too many things going in our minds and our lives and we end up neglecting things. Or we have a tendency to be masters, uh, you know, um, uh, you know what, what's that saying? Well, master of none, what's the first part of it? Jack of a jack of all trades and a master of none. That's kind of what we do in the Christian life too. We read a little Bible, we pray a little bit, we go to church, we um, uh, get involved in a ministry. We don't give it 100%. We just give it what's left over. And, you know, we're finishing up our lessons on Saturday night, you know, late into the evening or jumping up early Monday, Sunday morning going, I didn't have time to even look at it all week and I got to get this done before I get there. And, and then we wonder why we don't see fruit. 
We wonder why we don't see God blessing. And, and, and he's saying, listen, the toil comes first, then the triumph. And that's what we need to understand. That's the principle he's trying to teach Timothy. He's trying to help him understand this. A young man in the ministry. And again, this isn't a message to preachers. Maybe this is something when I go to the Philippines, I can preach to the, the young men there, maybe. Maybe I'll share that with them. I don't know. But I want this to, you to understand how this applies to you and I today, here, right here where we're at. You don't have to be full-time ministry. You don't have to be called to the ministry per se, because in a sense, we are all in the ministry already. We are already a man of God or a woman of God, or at least we should be res- responding that way to Christ and His Word. Jesus himself made this statement in John chapter 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now again, in the passage in 2 Timothy, we see that Paul the Apostle is telling his son in the faith, listen, you've got some things to do. You need to be strong and you need to share what you've been given. You need to soldier and be sanctified. You need to strive lawfully and then succeed. But understand in this whole process how it comes to pass. You first toiled, then you triumphed. You first put forth the work, now you're getting the reward. And he then says, now listen, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, there ought to be some fruit that remains. There ought to be something that's there, lasting, as a result of your toil and your effort. Now, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. I mean, he says, in this case, that your fruit should remain. That your fruit should remain. See, God would have our fruit to remain too. And I believe that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, especially verse 2, we, we are given... Um, a simple but powerful formula to accomplish that. Now, again, God never intended for people just to get saved and then go about living as they, they choose or go about business as usual. That's not how it's supposed to work. God, God intended that people get saved and then they begin to grow in Christ. That, that's how it's supposed to work. Now, one of the things is, you know, in our case, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to kind of look at people and go, well, it's all their fault. They're not growing in the Lord. And, you know, I, I led them to the Lord, and I don't even know where they're at anymore. I don't know what they're doing. And that's kind of the mentality that we possess. We have this idea of a, almost like, well, I birthed this child, and, and uh, you know, I did what I could at first. I visited them about four, five, six, eight times, and they never did end up coming to church or this or that or whatever. Now, that's not usually the case. You and I both know that. That's how it ought to be. But nonetheless... We birth them, and then maybe we go back and visit them one time, and then we just, I guess they just, just chose not to come. Or maybe they showed up at church one time, and we're like, hey, great to see you. And then that's about the last contact we have with them. Never once go back, see them. Never once try to put forth any other effort. But hold on a second. They don't come back. And so we, if, if we're not careful, kind of look at them and go, it's their fault. It's on them. I did my part. Well, it doesn't matter if people come after they've been saved or not. It doesn't matter if... They uh, follow through with discipleship. It doesn't matter if they continue to grow in Christ or not from the perspective of, of, of the passage. The point is here in the passage is that God intends us to see fruit that remains. Whether we're seeing it or not at this point isn't the real issue. The point is if we're not seeing it, then that's not normal. That's not what God intends for us. So, so here's the point. 
whose fault is it? It doesn't matter whose fault it is. We just need to look at the passage and say, okay, God intends our fruit to remain. And, and he's going to give us this, this, I guess you'd call it a, um, a model by which to accomplish that. So we have to look at it and say, now, are we performing the model? And then number two, we have to ask ourselves, if we're doing what we can, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What can we do to fix the problem? So there's a number of uh, people, say, being saved. And we say, well, where are they all at? Well, then there's a problem that needs to be fixed. Now, now this, is, this, is, this is important because, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Some people are like that with their marriage. You know, they're having problems in their marriage. They go, well, I did everything I could. I, I have no clue. Whatever. whatever happens, happens now. Wait a second. Don't you realize that whether or not you think you're the problem, there's still a problem, so you better start evaluating and looking into it because ultimately the marriage will fall apart if you don't do something? So you've got you to start digging into that thing. You've got to look at it, and that's what you have to do in the Christian life. And that's what we have to do as a ministry. Listen, there's a lot of fruit that has not remained around here. So the issue isn't, well, they're obviously messed up. If it wasn't for them, they, they should be here. If they, if, they, if they had any character, they'd be here. We say stuff like that. But that's not really the issue. The issue is what do we need to change then? What do we need to do to make this happen? To ultimately please God and ultimately fulfill His purpose and plan. Because, see, God doesn't want our fruit to go off and out. He wants our fruit to remain. And so, therefore, if God wants that, if that's his will, that's his desire, then I've got to believe he's going to make a way for that to happen. And if it's not happening, it's probably in our court. Now, we can blame society and we can blame the culture and we can blame the, the lack of character in people's lives. I understand all that. And, and there is some truth to that. We can't deny it. We can't just act like it doesn't exist. However, that is one obstacle then that we're going to have to overcome. If we want God's will to be done. So I want to take just a few minutes today and look at verse 2 for a few minutes. And look at this powerful formula. For producing fruit and for its remaining. Because I believe in verse 2 of chapter 2 we see a formula. And so I want to take just a minute and look at it. Father we come to you. We ask for your leadership. We thank you for all that you do for us. Lord... um, we need to have fruit that remains. Lord, uh, it's imperative, it's important, it's needed and necessary. Lord, give us and grant us, Father, your love and leadership tonight. Speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to understand what needs to take place and what has to happen if we're going to truly see uh, fruit remain. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, first of all, in the passage, chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. If somebody's teaching someone else, then obviously someone's remained. So what we're going to do here is, and I want to look at that passage, and I want to break it down. I want to break it down into three parts. I want to break it down into the message. I want to break it down to the men. I want to break it down to the ministry. Three different parts. We're going to see the message, the men, and the ministry. Then we're going to break those down. So first of all, we look at the message. First, we see, and the things that thou hast heard. We see the message was delivered. We know that. It was delivered. And the things that thou hast heard, it was delivered. Now listen, a message has to be delivered. If we're going to see fruit that remains, the message has to be delivered. It was delivered in the early church. It was delivered throughout history. It needs to be, it continue to be delivered now. If the message is not delivered, there will never be fruit that remains. It's that simple. It's not hard. It's not difficult to figure out. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ has, has to be delivered. 
And someone says, yeah, well, now we're going to do a pass out Saturday and we don't have the gospel on there. Well, let me tell you something. If you've been around at all in the last months or in the last years, you know that we have knocked on thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of doors. Oh, the message is being delivered. But maybe not as much as it needs to be and not maybe as effectively as it ought to be. But it is being delivered. There's no doubt there's plenty of room for it to be delivered more. Let me tell you, we could use you. But the fact is, is that it has to be delivered if we're going to see fruit that remains. Also, we see not only was the message delivered, but the message was declared. You say, what do you mean? He says, and the things that thou hast heard of me. Paul says, I declared this message. I have shared this message. I have given this message to you in a very personal way. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Sometimes the presentation of the gospel is very general, but the most effective presentation of the gospel is personal. In Galatians chapter 1, though, notice that this gospel, this message here, is, is, it was declared. But it's not just Paul the Apostle that declared it in the long run either. But notice in Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and do another gospel, which is not another. But there, there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have received, let him be accursed. For I do, for, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For I yet pleased, for if I yet pleased men, I should be the servant of, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, that message was delivered, but it was also declared of me. I received it directly from heaven itself, from the master himself. This is not my message. This is not a message of man. This is a message from the master himself. And may I say, as we go out with the message of the gospel, it better be his gospel. It better be his word. It better be his message. Because if it's anybody else's, including ours, we've we got a problem. We spend too much time sharing our personal opinions dealing with people. We need to spend more time declaring the gospel and his word, the truth. Not only do we see the message delivered, the message was declared, but the message is dependable. It's dependable. It says, notice he goes on here in the passage and he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Many witnesses. This message is dependable. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We live in a day and a generation in which there's so much skepticism, isn't there? You know, I, you know, Jesus, you know, we're not convinced he's God and, and whether he really existed or he didn't exist. And, you know, skepticism reigns in our culture. Everybody, if you don't want to have to obey or do something, you just, you come up with a question, why? You, you just say, why? I mean, that's how we deal with problems. That's how we deal with situations. I mean, you know, the, the, the police put down a, uh, you know, uh, give us a, um, 
a speed limit, and we say, but why do we need to go that slow in that area? It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And so then we justify speeding through it because in our mind it doesn't make sense or we don't agree with it. And that's basically what the, the, that's what the, the cynic and the critic do, even those that don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to believe in Christ, so they don't even give him a real opportunity to be real in their life. They just ask the question, well, you know, why would I obey him? He's not real. He doesn't exist. But this message that was given and delivered and declared by the Apostle Paul is a dependable message. And notice how dependable it was in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. It was declared by him, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. You don't believe in vain, by the way, if you put your faith in Christ. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, Peter, then of the twelve disciples. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. So some are still alive that saw him of those 500, and there are others that have already died and gone to heaven already. After that, after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. There were other apostles than the 12, mind you, moving on. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. That's something. Listen, we have a message that has been delivered, it's been declared, and it is dependable. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father. There were eyewitnesses that attested to that and literally, historically, accounted it. The message. The message. If we are going to see fruit that remains, we better make sure we have the right message and that we, are, that we are literally delivering it, declaring it, and sharing it as dependable. Number two, in the passage, we see the men. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Faithful men. Now, I am pretty sure that if I want to look at a faithful man, that I can turn to the book of Acts and go to chapter 6 and find some faithful men. They were those that would ultimately be called the first deacons of the church. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. The church itself has been growing, and there are thousands of people that have been saved that are being assimilated into the Christian culture. In this particular case, they're likely to have people from other foreign countries and lands around Jerusalem and all around the, the world that have come there for this particular uh, big day. And all of a sudden here at this big day, a Jewish holiday, we find that all of a sudden Christ himself shows up in the person of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 are saved right off the bat, bigger than our church already. I mean, 3,000 get saved. And, and all of a sudden now, the whole city within a matter of, of a short time is turned upside down because of the faith. Now, where are those people staying? What have they done? Did they all just go home the next day? No, the fruit remained. 
It stuck around a while so it could be grounded in the truth. That's why they were going house to house. That's why they were going in and teaching the Bible every day. Someone says, uh, you know, we, we say, well, where do you find, where do you find door to door soul winning there? Oh, they didn't just go soul winning. They met every night in homes. Uh, we could do that, but I think that'd be even a little more inconvenient than what we call Tuesday night visitation or soul winning or Saturday soul winning. They met every night teaching and training and sharing the gospel, the word of God, and inviting other people, I'm sure, friends and family that were lost to come to those particular Bible studies on a nightly basis. And there they were hearing the gospel, having it declared to them again, having it delivered to them. So many things were taking place. So here we have this this city full of new believers and the, the, the number is growing and the duties of the apostles seem to never end. And they're like, man, we can't keep up with what's going on here. We're going to need some help. We need somebody to give us a hand in taking care of those widows over there that have needs that are not being met. And so, what did they come up with? They came up with an office called deacon. It wasn't the church's house of representatives. It wasn't help the pastor make decisions. It was a group that would literally wait on tables and serve widows. That's the kind of people that we find in the deacon's position. Humble servants of God. There's a tremendous misunderstanding today of what the purpose and role of the deacon is in the church. And I can assure you, if you read that book in the New Testament, you'll find there's nowhere there where they took the place of the apostles or tried to tell them where to preach, when to preach, how to preach, who to preach to, how to run the church, how to handle the problems, what to do. You never find that from a deacon. Not in the New Testament. Now, what we find then is Acts 6, though. Notice the character of these men, though. You want to find faithful men? You're looking at them right here in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, Wherefore, brethren, we got all these needs. We need some men that will step up, that will work, that will strive, that will do the work of the ministry here, that will meet the needs of these widows. Wherefore, brethren... Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Specific business. We need somebody to do this. Isn't that what he said? Over this what? Business. Last time I checked, I hire you to do something. I say, this is what your business is. This is what you're going to do with your business. This is what you're going to do. And that's exactly why they were called out, because there was a specific purpose for them. This business. We know what the business was. It was to care for the widows. Now, notice this men, though. This is what I find wonderful and interesting. When, the, when Timothy talks about faithful men, I don't think you're going to find any more faithful men than what you found in Acts chapter 6. They're the men that we're talking about here. Because what we're going to find later on is that these are men who end up going out. And pre- matter of fact, Stephen's one of them. Stephen is stoned because he's providing and sharing the gospel. He's doing what every Christian ought to do. He wasn't a staff member. He wasn't an apostle. He was a man of God working in the church, and yet he's also giving his life for the gospel's sake. It's an amazing thing. That's called faithfulness. Now let's see what what these men are made of. First of all, these men were dependable. Notice it says they were of honest report. What does that mean? Well, that means that they had a reputation. They had a testimony. 
These men, you could count on them. You knew where they would be and you knew why they'd be there. You didn't have to worry about whether or not you'd catch them drinking a beer, whether you'd catch them smoking a marijuana, some marijuana. You didn't worry about whether or not they would be in church or not or whether or not they'd be out soul winning. No, these guys were sold out to the cause of Christ. They had a reputation. They had a report among the people. People knew when they said, choose out seven. Can you imagine that? Seven out of the thousands that were saved now. Seven out of the thousands that were being ministered to by these apostles. And yet, choose you out seven. And these seven men came up. Why? Because of their what? Honest report. They dealt honestly in their business deals. They dealt honestly with individuals. They dealt honestly with their family. They dealt honestly with church and with leadership and with others. They were honest men and they had an honest report. That meant that their character and their integrity was not questioned. That's the kind of men that faithful men are. Also, they were men, these men were distinct. You say distinct? Yeah, they were full of the Holy Ghost. Look, if you would, over Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We're talking about how can we get fruit that remains? Well, I believe, again, as I said, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 provides us this particular formula for producing that. And it starts with the message, but then it goes to the men. And those men are men that were dependable. They are men that were distinct, full of the Holy Ghost. Notice again, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit, let's see. Uh, I forgot to look it up, so I thought I'd just quote it. And I can, but I just can't quote the... Uh, I forgot how it goes. Could you, could you read that for me, brother, real quick? Just stand up and read it really loud. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Well, there you go. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Can you imagine men, according to the Word of God, who are full of the Holy Ghost? You say, well, I can't imagine that. I wouldn't even know how to describe that. Well, we just had it described in chapter 5 of Galatians. These men were men, according to the, to, according to the Word of God, that... Oh, I'm in Ephesians. Man, I've got to get to the right place. There it is. <clears throat> according to the Word of God, that were filled with love, had love, that were filled with joy, peace, that were long-suffering and gentle, goodness and faith, that were all part of their character. They were meek. They were temperate. Temperance. I mean, these are men. That's the qualities. Those are the characteristics of the men that were chosen in chapter 6 of Acts. These were faithful men. Faithful men are not just men that show up at church. Faithful men are those who at home exhibit the characteristics and quality of the Spirit of God. They were spiritual men, these men. They were spiritual men. See, they were proven, but they were spiritual. They were dependable. They were distinct. These men were not only distinct, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, but they were discerning. In the passage, it goes on to say they were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Boy, do we lack discernment today in America. We lack discernment in the house of God. It's amazing to me how little discernment there really is. Is it, can anybody, anybody know what discernment means? 
Anybody have an idea what we're talking about? Yeah, go ahead. It's sort of like understanding where you can just separate this from that. Yeah, you can discern between good and evil, right and wrong. You make good decisions based on the information before you and the Word of God, obviously. It's wisdom, the application of knowledge, the correct application of knowledge. And we're understanding how to apply these truths now. We're making good decisions. We're men and women of discernment. We look at a situation, a circumstance, and we, we come to the right conclusions. And we make the right decisions. And we forge ahead in the right direction. Men of discernment. That's what these men were. They were discerning. They had great wisdom. They were wise. So we're looking out these men. We're, we want to find these men that can do the work of waiting on tables do the work of taking care of the widows. And they are men that were dependable. They are men that are distinct, full of the Holy Ghost. They are men that are discerning and have tremendous wisdom as a direct result, a direct result of the filling of the Holy Ghost in their life. Young men, you don't have to be old to be wise. You have to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to know this book, the Word of God. God will give you discernment and God will give you wisdom, but you have to depend on Him. You can't seek your own. You ought to be in that book of Proverbs every day of your life. You ought to be seeking out His wisdom and understanding every day of your life. If there's a young person here that isn't reading the, the Proverbs on a daily basis, you need to get started now. Because it's not your wisdom that will make the difference in your life. It's going to be His. And then you need to seek out God's face and get filled with the Spirit of God. And He will then be able to direct and lead you in ways you can't even imagine. Notice they were dependable. They were distinct. They were discerning. Lastly, the men were diligent. They were diligent. Whom we may appoint over this business, he says. So they were men that could be counted on to get the job done. Let me tell you, they used to say, you know, you want a job done right? Give it to a what? Busy man. You know, you know isn't that funny? Isn't it funny that in the church, the ones who really get all the work are the ones that are already busy? You ever notice that? Somebody, there are some people that will say, man, I don't understand that. They keep giving the people jobs, but they never give me one. And, and you know what? There may be times when you're overlooked. There's no doubt about that. Maybe you have a heart and a desire to do something for God. Uh, I'll be honest with you. You need to let people know that, first of all. That would be helpful. But, but remember, though, there, there are some guidelines, as we've talked about on Wednesday night. There are some requirements and needed things in your life. You can't go around smoking cigarettes and drinking beer during the week and then say, I want to teach Sunday school. It doesn't work like that. You can't wear whatever you want and look like whoever want and take pictures of it on Facebook and show yourself at a bar sitting there with your buddies and having a good time making, uh, you know, gang signs and then think you're just going to come in and sing in the choir. It, it's crazy. I mean, we, we got this mentality that if I'm willing to be used, I should be used. No, you have to, as the Bible teaches here, you need to be faithful. You need to have given yourself to the things of Christ. Where's that attitude of dependability? Where's that, that, that distinction that comes through being filled with the Holy Spirit and a walk with Jesus Christ? Where does that, that attitude, that discernment come to say, I won't put myself in a compromising position. I won't allow myself to become a black eye on the, for the cause of Christ. I won't put myself in a compromising position that will cause people to think that I've done something wrong or, or irreverent. Where's that discernment at? And then these men were diligent, as we said. They were workers. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Workers, hard workers. 
That's what they were. Hey, listen, they didn't find that out after they were hired. They knew that before they were hired on, so to speak. They already knew before they were ever received that, hey, listen, you want some men that are going to do the job? You want somebody that's going to step up? You want somebody that's worthy of the investment? Let me tell you, it's these men right here. They are of honest report. They've been proven. They've been tested. Their testimony and their, 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 um, their uh, character is, is tested and proven. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They are spiritual men. They are wise and they're very discerning. And they are workers, man. They are diligent. Okay. That seems like a pretty good person to trust, to invest in. And 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. You know that message that was delivered, declared, and that is dependable? The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Hmm. Wow. Now let me just say this. I don't know how long those men were in the church before they were chosen to do that work. I have no idea. But let me just say this. You could just be saved and still be faithful. Oh, you may not have all the answers and you may not be, have all the Bible knowledge and wisdom, but you can be faithful where you are. See, when he's talking to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he's saying, now listen, the goal is fruit that remains. And you need to have fruit that remains. So guess what? You need to take that which you've had committed to you, and you need to give it to those who are faithful men. See, that doesn't mean that they had to be in church for 10 years to be invested in. But what it does mean is that wherever they are at, they are faithful at that stage and level of their Christian walk. Somebody just gets saved, maybe all they can do is just show up at church. Well, guess what? We're going to make an investment between someone that shows up at church and someone that won't come at all. I'm giving it the one that comes to church already. Faithful. They're faithful. Someone says, that's not fair. That's biblical, though. It's biblical. It's kind of funny, isn't it? We spend so much time with the people that are on the sidelines instead of focusing on the ones that are in the game. Happens all the time. You know, the guy that's got a problem, the gal that's got a problem, and we just go crazy. Oh, we've got to help get in here. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Oh, no. We gotta... We're so worried about them all the time when there's people that are just trying to stay faithful in God's house that show up on a regular basis, a consistent basis. Maybe it's once a week when they first got saved. Maybe it's twice a week or maybe it's three times. I don't know. But at least they're showing up and they're putting forth an effort. We don't ever once think about them because they're already here and hopefully they're giving and hopefully they're, commi- they're already settled in here a little bit. Even if it's only one day a week, that's enough. And then we wonder where they end up after a couple years. We don't ever see them take other steps. We don't ever see them get maybe involved in the next level. And we wonder, what happened to them? You know what happened to them? Nobody invested. Almost always that's the case. It doesn't mean that there aren't those that just say, I don't want to be invested in. Because we have those too. You've got people like that. Without a doubt you have that. But it's not our job to make them invest. It is our job to make that investment available if they're going to be faithful. That's all. Faithful men. Faithful men. You want fruit that remains? 
then you make sure that you're giving out and declaring and delivering the right message. And then you make sure that you're giving it to those that are faithful. At whatever level they're at in their Christian, they're faithful at that level. And finally, the ministry. He says, who shall be able to teach others also? So, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, there's the message. The same commit thou to faithful men, there are the men. Who shall be able to teach others also? Now that's the ministry right there. You say, what do you mean? Well, the ministry is about reminding. Notice he says, teach. Who shall be able to teach? Do you know what teaching really is? It's sharing and ultimately more than anything, reminding. Do you know what do they say about, about really learning? If you really want to teach, any teacher will tell you this. Repetition is the key to what? Learning. That means you've got to keep reminding over and over and over and over again. So basically, if we're going to teach somebody, it's not enough to give it to them once. We have to keep teaching it, keep telling it, keep reminding them at some point. Reminding them of the gospel. Reminding them of the sacrifice Christ made. Reminding them about what uh, Christ has done in their life by His grace and through His mercy. We keep reminding them about that wonderful, wonderful event and day in their life when they finally surrendered their will to His will and they trusted Him as Savior and Lord. And then we begin to share with them the truths of the Word of God and the doctrines of the Scriptures and the basic fundamentals of the truth and we keep pounding it and teaching it and reminding them over and over and over again called discipleship the message excuse me the the ministry is about reminding but it also it is about reaching the ministry is about reaching he says who shall be able to teach these men these faithful men who you're going to invest in who you're going to give the truth to the message to these faithful men will then teach others and they will reach others because that's what the gospel is all about, others. It's always about others. It's never about you and me. It's about others. And finally, the ministry is about reproduction. The word also. You're going to teach others also. So what we see here then is this, this wonderful thing that takes place. A faithful man of God proclaims the truth of God, teaches it, shares it, delivers it, gives it to another faithful man or woman of God. And so Cody stands up and, and stands up and I give him the gospel. Come on up here, Cody. Stand there, just turn around. And he trusts and receives the Lord. And man, I mean to tell you, he starts showing up at church and I keep investing in him and I keep giving him the truth and I keep repeating and reminding him of what God has done in his life and I teach him about the local church and I teach him about prayer and I teach him about uh, how Christ is perfect and sinless and I I really reinforce the basic fundamental doctrines that we, we deal with and he starts to grow in strength and he starts to get fired up and he gets encouraged and I teach him that his job is to reach others with the gospel and that it's simple to share the gospel and just like you got saved, others can be saved and here's how you do it and he says, man, I want to do that and he jumps in and all of a sudden he, come on up, 
leads this guy to the Lord. See, others also. And then, you know, he, I, I don't have to deal with him anymore. This faithful man who was faithful where he was at the time, he was faithful as a new believer, faithful in God's house. He then turns around and he leads this guy to the Lord and he says, you know what? I'm going to invest in him the way that guy invested in me. I'm going to start giving him that dependable gospel. I'm going to give him that declared gospel. I'm going to give him uh, that gospel. I'm going to share that gospel with him. And I'm going to teach him those basic fundamentals. I'm going to invest in his life. I'm going to make sure he's at church. I'm going to make sure he understands the word of God. I'm going to make sure that he has his questions answered. Because that's what I remember. That's what I want to do for him. Because, boy, that's the ministry. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, Timothy, the same come out, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's the ministry. Now, I don't mean to be mean and nasty tonight, but let me just be very frank and clear. Baking cookies for the buses is a needed and necessary element and it contributes to the cause of Christ. And ultimately in heaven, I believe people that take the time to do that will be rewarded. Don't misunderstand me. But that is not the definition of ministry in the Bible. It isn't. You know what ministry is in the Bible? Right here. Taking what I've been given and giving it to another faithful man of God. And that man or woman of God then turns around and gives it to someone else. They're then doing the ministry now too. See, the goal is that everybody in this room ought to be doing ministry. And ministry is, as we said already, very clearly delivering, declaring a dependable message. And that's the gospel. That's the word of God. And then finding someone else who is faithful and Delivering it. You go out and lead someone to Christ. You stay on them. You do the best you can to get them to make a commitment. And if they'll make a commitment to God's house and to the word of God, then you, you just pour it on. You know what we try to do so often? We keep trying to invest in people that don't want invested in. It, it works. It's just the way we are. It's our nature. Everybody's for the underdog. It's only fair. Well, fair is it has nothing to do with this. This is God's plan. But if we will take the time to invest in people, you might be amazed how many people that never came to church would come to church. I'm just talking about investing. Instead of maybe just going over from time to time and just throwing a bone and saying, why don't you come to church, please? Why don't we take something from that blessed book, the Word of God, and tell them, listen, you're a child of God, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a child of God now. You trusted Jesus? Yeah, you tr I trusted Jesus. Well, let me show you what the Word of God says about you now, that you're a new creature in Christ. That means old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Don't you realize that? You may feel like the old you still exists, but the fact is it's dead. And the truth is, unless you start feeding the new man, you're going to forever be bound by your sin, just like you've always been. And I don't want that for you, and I don't think you want that. Don't you want things to change in your life? Don't you want God to be real in your heart? Don't you want to be able to honor Christ and actually fulfill the purpose by which you were created for, and that's to bring pleasure and honor to God? Don't you want God to be pleased with your life? I mean, we need to start talking to them as though they are spiritual, as God did something in their life. Instead of begging them all the time, just come to church. Will you come to church? Please come to church. We miss you there. We love you there. We want you in church. Who cares? This is about the Lord. He's got to do something in their life. Let Him do it. Let's, let's take that word. 
that delivered message, that declared message, and take it to them. If we want fruit to remain, you can have a seat, fellas. It's not going to happen by being comfortable. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of work, a lot of work. And it doesn't just happen, the preacher's not the only one. As a matter of fact, those men that were, were chosen to, to do the work of, the, of, of taking care of those widows, as we ultimately find them preaching, we see Philip down there uh, preaching to the Samaritans. I mean, they might not have been called apostles, but they were definitely preaching the Word of God. That's what God wants for all of us. There's not a man in this place that shouldn't be able to stand up on a street corner and proclaim the Word of God. Not one. Not one. We've given a pass to the church today in many cases. Well, we've got... And and this is funny to me. Now, this is what kind of funny to me. If you talk to people in the pew... They'll say, listen, that pastor's no better than me. He puts his pants on the way I do. And we don't want to see a distinction between the man of God and us. He's nobody different than me. But then when it comes to the standard, when it comes to the responsibility of the gospel, we say, well, he's the preacher. He's the one who gets paid to do it. You can't be expected to sell out to God. Like he does. I mean, I got a family to take care of and I got responsibilities. Man, he's got it easy. All he has to do is the church. We want our cake and want to eat it too. The truth is, is this. There's not a man in this room that shouldn't be able to stand up and proclaim the gospel. That shouldn't be able to go before a group of people and say, listen, here's what Jesus did on the cross and here's what he can do for you in your life. And it ought to be so real in our lives that it ain't that hard of work. We shouldn't have to study for about three months to put together a little five-minute message or ten-minute message or 20-minute message about the gospel. It should be something that rolls off our lips. Fruit that remains, it is only going to happen when we all start doing the ministry. And the ministry is investing in people. Thank God for people that clean the church. Thank God for folks that are willing to work in the nurseries. Thank God for folks that will do work on the outside and take care of maintenance issues and problems that exist. I'm glad for all of that. But the ministry, if we want fruit that remains, if you want fruit that remains in your Christian life, then you're going to have to toil first, then triumph. It won't come just because you show up at church. If you want fruit in your Christian life, you're going to have to put forth an effort. And the real ministry is not just reading our Bible and praying. The real ministry is reproducing. That's the ministry. That is it. And as we do that, the church will grow. Lives will change. And ultimately, churches will start. And that's what God's looking for. Who are you investing in today? Who are you discipling personally? Who have you taken a personal interest in that needs to go to another level? That, that's a pretty convicting question, and, and that convicts me a little bit even. I, honestly, I could do much better at that. So why don't we do it? Let's make up our minds that we want to see some fruit that remains, not just as a church, but as individuals. And we're willing to do the ministry.
And that's the latch hold of somebody that's not where they need to be that could go to another level. We can help them get there, and we're going to take this word, and we're going to help them get there. Let's do that. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord.